Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. Four months ago, Jesus, that was four months ago? Well, four months ago, I had comedians Roy Wood Jr. and Maria Bamford on to talk about comedy under quarantine and what they expected for the future of comedy. The picture, not unlike for the world outside of comedy, was uncertain and not especially hopeful. I don't want to be too sunny about anything considering how hard this time has been and continues to be, but I can say I've been able to find some solace in the fact that comedians have found ways to connect to audiences. So I wanted to dedicate an episode to checking in with comedy, learning about ways comedians have been adapting. And this is that episode. What follows are conversations I had recently with five stand-ups, all with unique experiences and outlooks. I talked to Jenny Yang, an L.A. comedian who has found the most charming way to hold comedy shows over Zoom. After her, we have Nori Davis, who was the first comedian that I know of who was able to work on and record an album under quarantine. Fourth is Lori Kilmartin, who tweeted jokes through losing her mother to COVID. And last, Jim Gaffigan and the bizarre potential of drive-in comedy shows. To paraphrase Dr. Ian Malcolm, comedy, uh, finds a way. But first up, Nikki Glazer. Nikki, you might know from one of my absolute favorite episodes of this podcast, in which I talked to her about roast jokes. In the time since, Nikki has kind of blown up as a stand-up, releasing her Netflix Hour special Bangin' and another Netflix Half Hour. This year, she was going to do her first full theater tour. I spoke with Nikki, who is currently residing in her parents' place in St. Louis, about what the last few months have been like. So, here is Nikki Glazer. Um, I do feel it's like a good omen that I'm talking to you on a day a Taylor Swift album comes out. Oh my gosh, I know. I'm already so... I, I needed this so bad, uh, Lee. I hate when people say just I needed it bad, but I did need it bad. I needed it so, so bad. But, yeah, Taylor Swift in, in the nick of time came out with something. I've just, right when I was about to start listening to something other than her lover album, and yeah. I was like, well, you got to move on from this. But now I don't have to listen to anything except Taylor Swift. She knew. Uh, forever she, and ever. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's an album meant to transition you to fall. It's like... 
a con- yes. it's a condensed timeline. You're like, basically, there's no seasons anymore. Right. <laughs> it's, it truly is like has such a fall feel to it. And it's nice because that there's hope that there is a future and that the, I'm trying to live every day like in the moment because looking in the future is just really um, bumming me out. Mm-hmm. Um, but even back in like March when this all went down and I was projecting as to like what my life would look like in July, here I am. And it's not so bad. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I'm okay. Oh, good. So to, to back up to March, what did you have like comedy-wise already on the books for spring, summer? Uh, yeah, I had about 25 more theater shows to do and like about just so much money to make. <laughs> no, it was that that was a nice thing of it. But I really I'll get to the money thing in a second. But yeah, I had a lot of shows on the books, a lot of theaters. It was my first theater tour that I had done about, I think, 10 to 15 dates of uh, that started in January and I was still at the pretty much beginning of it. And yeah, I was like, I worked one weekend and then the next weekend, no work. It didn't like slowly stop. It was just like all to nothing um, very, very quickly. And then did you immediately go to St. Louis? What was your process of deciding where to be? It was actually pretty advantageous for where I was when everything like went down because I live in New York or I did live in New York at the time. But I was in L.A. mid-March, like March 10th through the 15th or whatever that week was. I had a crazy week of TV appearances. I was on Kelly Clarkson's show, uh, Lights Out with David Spade, Conan, uh, Anna Faris's podcast, and then uh, mm-hmm. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It was all taped in the same week. And so I actually hired a film crew or a documentary crew. One guy. Yeah. Honestly, I flew him out from St. Louis. It's a crew. Felt like a crew. Um to follow me around for that week because I had never had such an insane week of work. Plus I was in Texas the weekend before and then Monday through Friday I was doing all of that. Uh, I was doing two theater shows in Texas or four total in Texas on that Friday, Saturday. Then I was going to go to LA, shoot all those TV shows and then fly to Seattle and then Portland that weekend. Mm-hmm. Seattle and Portland never happened. Kelly Clarkson never happened. A lot of the the TV stuff got switched around, but I had this guy following me around because I was like, wow, I just want to document this insane time in my life where yeah. I seriously mm-hmm. feel like I'm going to drop dead at any point from exhaustion and just like stress. And then as soon as he started filming, it was funny because at the beginning of the week, I was joking like, I think there is footage of me saying, this is turning into a documentary about how an artist's life changed because of coronavirus. Because at the time it was just like, are we re- is this really happening? And you just saw, I have documentation in real time of like everyone kind of rolling their eyes about it and being like, the show must go on, who cares, yeah. to total sheer panic. So long story short, I was in LA when everything truly started shutting down. Um, I The last f- TV thing I taped was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It was on the Friday, like the 13th or whatever it was. And... I just had to film that and then it was back to New York. That's where my plane ticket was going to send me. But in New York, I had just moved into apartment March 1st, which I never stepped foot into Mm. because I was on the road from March 1st on. And I was having it redecorated and it was my first like luxury item I've ever, I didn't purchase it, but rented. I mean, really, really nice apartment. Mm. Spending almost three times as much for rent as I ever have because I was having such a good year. I had all yeah. this money. I don't have kids. I don't have anything to spend it on. I was like, you deserve an apartment that has an elevator that opens out 
in as your front door. Oh, that's very like, cool. I know, Jesse. I know. That's, that's I like rom com that apartment. Like yes, that was my life. It was just like a dream apartment, something I never saw myself achieving. And although now with watching I'll Be Gone in the Dark, I definitely want a door that you can hear open because before you're murdered by someone breaking into your house, you don't want to hear ding and just like footsteps. You want to hear like some kind of struggle with the door. So now I'm like, oh, I'm glad I never lived there. But um, I've never set foot in that apartment. I'm still paying for it. And I didn't want to go back to New York because I didn't have any furniture in the apartment because it was being decorated at the time. I only had a bed and all my boxes of stuff. So I, my parents were actually in LA with me during that week of all those crazy TV shows because my mom was going to be on the Kelly Clarkson show with me because they were doing a Mother's Day like episode. So they flew her out from St. Louis. My mom doesn't go anywhere without my dad because they're codependent. And he also loves Conan. And I was doing Conan that week. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll fly him out too. So they were already with me. And so I already felt that sense of like, mommy and daddy, and I don't want you to go to St. Louis. And I'm scared to go to New York. So I was like, I'll just keep hanging out with you. I'll go to St. Louis and, and, and just wait this out. And then, um, here I am uh, almost five months later, still here. And I thought it was going to be like a week or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you in perform at all? Did you do any digital shows? Like you had at that point had an hour material. Like what was your plan? What did you, how did you sort of go through those first couple months of like trying to do something? Yeah, well, I did. I, I had a new like hour and 20 minutes that I was out on the road with. And I can tell you right now, I don't remember even like 10 minutes of it. Like I, I, I remember some of the themes, but I don't really write down material long form in any way. I just remember, I know Mark Maron has a similar process, so it makes me feel not as crazy, but it's all in my head. And I, I write down like bullet points in yeah. my phone. But if you do it every night, you don't need to write anything down. You just have it memorized. And then when you tape your special, you can just dump it out of your head and it's gone. And it's almost like I my last performance was a special because if I don't do it every night, it's going to get lost. And But the problem is the last performance wasn't a special. Yes, I have it recorded in my phone, so I have it to listen to if I want to remember it. But I never even, as soon as this went down, I was like, Bye-bye material. You're mm-hmm. irrelevant. Like, yeah, there were some things I was talking about that almost like were prophetic in the sense that I was talking a lot about the end of the world, being in a bunker, what my life would look like after the apocalypse and wanting to find a man to to, to live with so that because I know the, the world's about to get weird, not wanting to have kids because I don't know how to homeschool mm. or cook or all of these things that I kind of wow. sort of dabbling in these ideas, which is wild. My friends who are on the road with me are like, your material was like preparing us for this. And I was like, it didn't prepare me enough for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I thought I had a couple of years to work through this stuff. So when it initially shut down, I was not that sad. I think a lot of standups were like, how do I live without doing standup every night? This has helped me realize that I don't need standup as like therapy mm. or a form of expressing myself. I can find other ways. I miss it. And I do look forward to, putting more stuff out there but I feel like I was addicted to stand up and I hate to be like I needed to realize that and I'm glad coronavirus <laughs> happened so I realized that my addiction to stand up but I it was and as soon as ev- I'll say this because everyone else can't do it I'm okay not doing it mm-hmm. so much of my compulsion to do stand up is to keep up with the Joneses and to just m- make sure that I'm as good as everyone else and so when everyone else can't do it, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't need to do it. 
But then I started seeing people do Zoom shows and I was like, I guess I got to do this. So I did a couple Zoom sets, but it was more about me working on material that I was going to do on Conan and on Bill Maher. I've done some appearances since Mm. living at my parents' house via Zoom and I wanted to work out that material for those shows. So that's why I took those Zoom shows. They're weird. They're not ideal. Um, My joke is that like I did a Zoom show and I went into it being like, this is going to be like terrible. Like, why am I doing this? And then you do it and you're like, it's awful. Like it's not like it's there's there's no like I thought there was going to be another side of it. Like it's not so bad. It was yeah. bad. It's not fun. There's a lag of laughter. There is no laughter. And when you're done, you shut your laptop and you're alone in your dad's home office. You don't get to like go in the green room and hang out with friends. So much of stand up is so social. And um, and that's what I really miss about it um, is just hanging out with comedians. Uh, the only good thing that's happened in this is that some comedians have been canceled and that's really brought the comedy community together. That's yeah. how I've like reconnected with comic friends is being like, let's talk about this. Like I didn't talk to be comics for like three months and then people got canceled and all of a sudden all my friends are reaching out to see how I'm doing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, do you really want to check in on me or do you just want to talk about Crystal? Yeah. So it seems like, and, and this is what I've heard. It's like these zoom shows, like, are so the opposite of what you associate doing stand-up. Like, the comedian is so trained for a certain interaction and certain feelings from what what it feels like for a set to go well. So to yeah. remove that, it allowed you to be like, what am I... Do- what, what is this for? Yes, th- I don't need this. This isn't fulfilling whatever stand-up was giving me. This ain't doing it. And that's exactly right. I mean, uh, as much as I had a compulsion to do it, the there's... And it was just about like trying to keep up and, and compete with everyone else. A lot of standup is like you get that hit from the from the crowd interaction and feeding off of them. And it's just there's n- laughter over Zoom is just so disappointing and it's just not as good. And I've done some live shows with people wearing yeah. masks and that's also just not as fun. And coming from a place, it was humbling because... It just reminded me of the early days of doing stand-up. I was talking to some other comics that have been performing at clubs. I've just done Salt Lake City. Yeah, can you talk um, a little bit about deciding to do it and what what the experience was like? Yeah, that was hard. Um, First of all, I only did it because I saw other comics that weren't like... They were comics I look up to and comics who I feel are my peers were accepting gigs. So I was like, oh, if they do it, I can do it. So I did local shows in St. Louis at a club here that I never have worked helium because as soon as they opened they like couldn't afford me (laughs) yeah i was making the joke of like i never thought i'd have to work at this club because i was better than it and now i'm performing at the galleria mall next to a -A build-a-bear and i'm getting venmoed my paycheck and like things have changed so i i accepted the gigs locally just to get on stage and um and just to have my friend come open for me again get to hang out with a comic and Mm -hmm. stuff like that just to see if i could do it and it was weird. It wasn't satisfying. I didn't get a high from it like I usually do. It's just not, it's not the same. And is it because there are fewer people in the audience because the audience felt like they didn't know what they should be doing? Everyone's risking everything to go out and do this thing. You feel like you're doing, my friend Emil Joachim who opened for me was making a joke that it feels like being in like a, a gay bar in like the 1920s or something like, but not as fun because you actually feel bad about what you're doing and you know that what you're doing is probably wrong as opposed to, you know, that experience. But it did feel like it felt 
naughty in a way that wasn't a fun naughty. Mm. Like I like breaking the rules when I know what I'm doing is mm. not really harmful to anyone. This felt like breaking the rules and not really knowing for sure that what I was doing wasn't going to harm someone. Every the staff and my agents and everyone is so worried about my safety. I'm not worried about catching it because I trust myself to be safe as much as I was worried about my audience being put in a situation mm. where you get inside and then the tables aren't as far away as they promised they were going to be. Or there are people that aren't wearing masks. And once you get in an environment, and we've all been there, where you go to a socially distanced barbecue or birthday party, and you get there and people are not respecting the six feet. They're talking without their masks. They're hugging. They're shaking your hand. And you fucking do it. You shake their hand. You hug people that you don't want to because there's this weird peer pressure that you just fall into. So I didn't want my audience to ever feel... Like they had to stay mm -hmm. because they bought a ticket. So when I went to Salt Lake City, eventually that was the first one I traveled for because I just drove down the street to do the St. Louis shows. So it didn't feel as like I was putting anyone at risk. Right before I went to Salt Lake City, which I was already like on the fence about, but I was assured by Bert Kreischer who had traveled and done so many clubs and so many different things. He was like, they're doing it right. And they truly were. If there's an, any club to go to right now, that room is huge. They're spacing people out more than they even need to. Everyone has to wear a mask. I, I mean, they're doing it the right way. But I was alarmed because I took a flight there that was oversold mm. and people were not good about wearing masks. And I was like, am I bringing coronavirus to Salt Lake City. I mean, I was way far away from the audience. Even if I was like, you know, Gallaghering <laughs> my spit, they yeah. wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to reach them. But I still felt like if I do test positive in two weeks because of this fucking flight I took, then I'm going to have to Brian Callen and do a little testimonial video of anyone who came to my show. And may I didn't want to I didn't want to have to make that statement. And then I was just scared of getting canceled, to be honest with you, yeah. of like, what if a bunch of people that went to my show die? <laughs> and so that I did the shows because I was by the time I started having these panics, I had already landed in Salt Lake and I just wanted to support the club. The clubs are going under and I just I did it. But then I canceled the rest of my my tour that I kind of had planned because I was like, I don't I don't need this anxiety. So I'm just no no more stand up. Yeah. In, it, unless it's a, dr I'm doing drive-ins coming up though. So it's in, in, in Salt Lake city. Can you describe the feeling? Like, cause when I imagine it, it, how do you describe it? It's like in any comedy show, there's an amount of tension because like this person has to make us laugh out of nothing. And, and that's yeah. part of what is fun about going to see comedy, but it seems like the tension of everything is so immense. Like if you could break it, but it seems like it's impossible to break because this thing is just, hang over us oh that's so true i mean i first of all that's always what i say to people who are who want any advice on comedy and i'm or public speaking i always just tell them like because i didn't realize this in starting in comedy the audience is so nervous for you and can't believe you're about to do what you're doing and they just want you to be okay and so like outside of COVID, that's all you're trying to do up there. You don't really even need to be funny to be a comedian. I'm serious. Mm -hmm. Like I've just, you can be successful if you just look comfortable up there because the audience is so freaked out. They're putting themselves in your shoes and how uncomfortable they would be. And if you look comfortable up there, you can, you don't even have to tell jokes. People will have a good time. Yeah. Um. And like you said, on top of that, with the, the discomfort of what's in the air, literally and metaphorically, 
um, they're on edge and it's the elephant in the room. You can't address it because you don't want to dwell on it too much. I mean, you do want to address it, but you also don't. That's what people are trying to escape by going out and laughing. Mm -hmm. So that is the weird thing is uh, mitigating how much to talk about it or and if you talk about anything else, does it seem trivial at this point? Like that was that's the hard part with comedy. Talking about it, you don't want to talk about because you're trying to get away from it. But not talking about it seems like, how could you not talk about it? Yeah. So, and then dredging up old material. Uh, I was talking to, it was nice because I was talking to, just name drop, David Spade was working the same club after me in Salt Lake. And we were discussing, and I was so happy to hear from him too that he was struggling remembering bits. And Mm -hmm. like, he'd be in the middle of a joke. And I was talking to him like, going it used to be like when I would go into a bit that I was like it's 80% there like it has room for improvement and I'll mess with it but I'm like it's a killer joke you're just you're kind of like it's like you're on a road trip and you've got the fucking cruise control set and it's open roads and I haven't felt this way ever maybe even when I first started comedy because when I first started comedy I was going just one-liner jokes so I didn't have to white knuckle an entire bit this is white this is like driving in a snowstorm with no tread on your tires just like oh my god that is what every single bit felt like just trying to remember it and I would remember like if I had 20 punchlines in one bit which is I think would be maybe around the amount that I would have in like a three-minute thing I would remember like 11 of them mm-hmm. and the other ones are lost forever because to get them back, I'd have to listen to old recordings of myself, which I, I can't, I literally can't do. So I'm just starting from scratch. Um, what was the sound of laughter through masks like? It was exactly like the first it was like doing comedy for the first time again because it reminded me of clubs where at open mics they don't they don't seat people with any kind of um you know uh thought towards the comedian and what would make for a great show it's so funny because the things that make comedy clubs work close close um proximity to the other tables really just tightly packed as close to the stage as you can get low ceilings and um and and that's what works for comedy clubs, like the best rooms, mm-hmm. low ceilings, basements, cellars, and people just cramped in a place. Best best conditions for a comedy show. So now we are operating in a world where those things can't happen anymore. Yeah. So you're, it's it's been removed to have the best show possible. So what it felt like was an open mic where it's just like free seating and people are not there to see anyone. Not definitely not there to see you. It was. It was like doing comedy the first five years, t- 10 years, 12 years of my career where people showed up at the club just like, oh, we like comedy. We'll go to the club. Like no one was there to see me. Mm. I've been lucky to even be able to perform comedy in a world where people came to see me. I'm just grateful that I ever got a chance to perform in a sold out theater. Like uh, it's it it took me so long to achieve that. But there are a lot of people that are just... I just feel for comics who are on the way up now and may never get that, get that. I'm sorry to be so like um, pessimistic, but that might not be a reality for the next few years. Yeah, and, and it's like even if they what whatever the sort of if this ends in any capacity, then you just have to get people being comfortable with the idea after not doing it for three years. Yeah, we're like a decade away from that kind of the way it was, feeling that comfortable and that close 
of spaces unless you're down in the Ozarks doing shows. I think they're still fine. Get packed in down there, but like there's certain places you can go maybe to get that feeling again. But it's, I, I, we lived in a, in a, a bygone era. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just like, I'm, I I really come back to this thing. I think so many people are what, no matter what you do for a living or what your circumstances, like we're all mourning like the death of, of a life before COVID where we didn't even know this kind of thing was possible. I mean, life might go back to normal, but we're always going to be on edge that this could happen again. And we didn't used to have to live that way because we didn't know that this could happen. I mean, there was like one movie contagion about it, but I don't remember anyone else really talking about this that much. That's so, um, yeah, I think I, I, we're all just in different stages of grief and, uh, I've I've really come to a place of acceptance though now. I'm really just trying to figure out what other I've I've did stand up. I was lived through a boom. Mm. The boom is over. It is officially over. People are still excited about comedy, but it's it's podcasting now. Yeah. It's um I'm exploring reality shows. Like I'm trying to find ways to be myself, like the person I was on stage in different different ways. So what, what, how has that uh, materialized? What has that looked like that has felt like something that at least gets close to feeling like you're still expressing whatever you were able to express with your standup? I mean, it looks like going live on Instagram a lot more than I ever used to. It looks like, um, you know, I, I was already kind of planning for this because I just don't think standup the way I was doing it and the way you have to do it to be really really great or at least the way I have to do it to be the greatest I can be is every night Mm. every night and I got to treat it like I'm training for the Olympics and the Olympics are my special tapings and in between the Olympics you have nationals which are different TV appearances and I could never take a night off and if Mm. I did I felt guilty and I think I had an inkling that I couldn't do it forever. And especially as a 36 year old woman who would like to have a partner and maybe a family someday, I'm not going to be out doing stand up every night. I can't do it. And now I know the life that you can have where you don't do stand up every night. Like I just like eat dinner and then watch TV with my parents and go to bed. Like it's awesome. I haven't lived like that since before college. Yeah. And I really love it. And I'm really proud of myself for kind of thinking about this even before this all went down because I've been honing my broadcasting skills um, through my radio show. I really kind of pivoted towards broadcasting because I knew much like stand up when I first discovered it, it's just something that came naturally to me and I just felt really comfortable on radio. Um, and so I, I was like, I'm trying to build a radio career and a podcasting career because and I already had that like kind of base and now I'm really um, sinking my teeth into that and, and thinking, oh, that's going to be my future. That's going to be actually a future that would um, make me a lot happier than being in the clubs every night, even though I'm never going to stop doing stand up. And as soon as the clubs open again, I'll be out every night and <laughs> sure. I will, uh, eat my words. But um, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. So you you know you have the the, the radio show podcast and you, you've been doing these sort of Instagram speed dating shows yeah yeah Um, speed dating on instagram does it you know does it feel similar like do you get the same or is it sort of like you accept that this is the feeling that is like your way of expressing yourself like it's almost like i guess i'll put the question this way which is like with stand-up comedy there's sort of the creation of it that there's a joy to and the response to it and now the response has to be so different because you're not hearing it but you still can maybe get the same 
feeling towards the creation of it. Do you feel that way? And do you have optimism to at least that part of it? Yeah, I think that the more I mature, I don't need that immediate laughter. I think that's I think stand up is really a young person's kind of like an immature human's uh coping mechanism for wanting to be loved because it's just like the the quickest hit of mm-hmm. um validation. And now I get validation from DMs telling me I love that you talk about this thing. It made me feel less alone. Like I'm getting validation and other ways and I'm not seeking that immediate uh hit that I used to once thrive on so much and I think it's just by virtue of doing work on myself and not needing people's approval as much um I do miss the every night being creative in every single day in Mm -hmm. some way and getting that out there and that's why I go live on Instagram that's why I took my podcast from a weekly podcast to a daily podcast because I I like to perform every day it's really good for me and I think the performing thing is more important to me now than the actual response from the audience. Like I did, um, I co-hosted or I guest hosted Kimmel this past Tuesday, it, which was so weird because you do this monologue, which I kind of adapted into like what my, instead of doing like topical jokes or whatever, like a late night host, I just just like, let me just try to do this like as a stand up set mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's so weird because there's no audience. There's just you with a cameraman in the room and who's not even allowed to laugh. Like, you don't even get like titters like on the soup or whatever from the producers. It's just nothing. And it's so awkward, but I liked it because it was a challenge to like, okay, how do I make, like we were talking about before, how do I make everyone watching at home not feel bad for me right now and know that I am fine without getting laughter and that I'm comfortable and they don't have to worry about me. Welcome to Jimmy Kimmel live. I'm Nikki Glazer, your guest host for the evening. I cannot believe I am hosting a network late night talk show alone inside a weird house with no laughter. This is both the high and low point of my career. I want to thank Jimmy for letting me host his show while he's on pregnancy leave. Seriously, Jimmy, I'm really happy you're keeping this one. So in this new era of no audiences, I feel like I'm developing a really special skill that is going to be needed in TV because there's no audiences of being okay without laughter and not looking awkward and not making people at home feel awkward because it ain't easy. Mm. I mean, watching late night right now is not comfortable. It's like watching a really embarrassing episode of The Office where you're just cringing the whole time. Some of those unwatchable episodes because yeah, yeah. you're you feel so like awkward for them. That's what some of late night is right now. And I want to get into, I've always wanted to be a late night host. And now I'm like, I could actually, this is my time, I think, because I'm okay without laughter and, yeah. and, and trying to figure out what TV now looks like in that, in this world without a, a live studio audience. We might not need them. I don't yeah. know. Um, I'll ask one last question, which is, you know, what, let's say, I, the way I've been thinking of it is sort of like, I've never seen Jurassic Park, but I know the part where they go, life finds a way. Wait, why? You've never seen Jurassic Park? It came out when I was younger, and I thought it might be scary. And then it sort is. of. So then, and now I probably can handle it, but I am. You should see it. Oh my God. Please see it and do I, a podcast about you seeing it for the first time. I mean, I would watch that. I would watch you watching Jurassic Park for the first time on like a live feed because right. it does hold up. It does. Okay, go on. All right, anyway. So I will, I promise. Okay, you to, should, you but, should see So it. I think about like, in terms of comedy, which is sort of comedy finds a way, which is like, 
<laughs> we have these comedy, these ideas of the comedy booms, but they're so tied to like, in the 80s, it was like clubs and people were going out to clubs, but not like, it wasn't like in the 90s, there was no comedy anymore. It's just sort of like, <laughs> a lot of it was on TV or there were the alt rooms or whatever. So right now, it's it feels like the end of the boom, because again, like live comedy doesn't seem like it exists, but like, you know, comedy can sort of go anywhere. And it and it's clear, as you have showed or sort of other people have been showing on different medias, you know, what gives you sort of, what makes you optimistic or hopeful about sort of like comedy's ability to survive this regardless of what form it is? I don't know. I think there's endless places where comedy can go. And um, like yesterday I read a paragraph Tim Dillon wrote on his Facebook and it made me laugh out loud in a way that I haven't in so long. And I'm like, wow, it... There's truly no limit to where you can get people to laugh alone in their kitchen out loud at their at their phone and give them that just like little shot of like everything's okay like just levity and mm. and break up the day and 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 it's yeah I'm I'm finally learning to enjoy comedy in that way for its therapeutic purposes and so yeah I th- I'm I'm not worried about it I am worried about stand up but um <laughs> But like I said, I'm really grateful to have ever even gotten to perform. So I'm uh, so it's okay if it's if it's dead. I'm really sorry to everyone who didn't um, get to go as far as they wanted to in that. But then just you'll find you'll find another way to express yourself. Stand ups aren't just good at stand up and nothing else. You can adapt and put it somewhere else. I've been watching a lot of Zoom shows these past few months, and though there are laughs to be had, you can't shake the fact that you are a body in your home watching other people in theirs. Jenny Yang, who you might remember from the L.A. installment of my late-night writers panel as a writer on Busy Tonight, found an undeniably charming workaround. I'll let her explain it. Here is Jenny Yang. Uh, Maybe to start, uh, can you tell me about sort of your experience doing online shows in the first few weeks or months of the quarantine before this and how it sort of led to the epiphany of doing shows on Animal Crossing? Well, first of all, Jesse, I want to thank you for caring about the comedy community (laughs) (laughs) and and checking in with us. (laughs) I love you guys. People don't understand the unique um, suckage that is to try to be funny while people are dying of a pandemic Mm -hmm. when you are doing a show on Instagram live and there's no response when you tell a joke. It literally feels like you are just tap dancing in a hallway. Like that's really how it felt. It was like the bleakest of the bleakest. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's sadder than a sad clown, a sad clown during a pandemic with no audience. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, the first, the first few shows were for sure. Like, what are we even doing? Are we trying Instagram live? What does that even mean? Are we doing a zoom show? Where are there people watching, but you don't hear them? I feel like we tried everything and it was, so depressing but I think after about a month of like different comedians trying different things and then you know you going on someone's show and then realizing oh duh it's way better when you can hear the audience laugh yeah (laughs) which somehow required a month of like (laughs) yes toodling around as comedians to figure out um so I feel like in my head after doing a bunch of shows I landed on okay a zoom meeting let's have people unmuted Mm-hmm. Why not? Let's 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 increase the level of risk 
that matches a live show anyway, which is you're all in the same room. You're supposed to have control over the stage with your microphone, but there's always a chance that, uh, you know, someone in the audience cannot comply. And that is the sort of contract that you have Mm -hmm. with an audience as a stand-up comedian. And so for us to then say, unmute audience people on your Zoom meeting, it was revolutionary, but it makes total sense. You know what I mean? And then so then when did this sort of spark of Animal Crossing doing a show on Animal Crossing come to Well, uh, pretty soon after the initial um, (laughs) stay-at-home orders, I was, uh, you know, depressed, despondent, like most people. And um, I think one of the the first things I realized was, as an extrovert who misses people, what am I going to do to socialize? And Mm -hmm. what I found out was a bunch of my friends were playing Animal Crossing on Nintendo Switch. And you can visit each other's island. You can like have little parties on each other's island. And then like you do like a little voice group chat and you like hang out. I'm like, oh my God, if I can't do this in real life, let me do this shit virtually. Mm. You know what I mean? And you know what I mean? It was was like, honestly, it was like this timeline is too bleak to not try to spend as much of it as possible in a super cute cartoon world. You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't I do that? And so I think as a lot of people got really obsessed with the game during the initial, I think, phases of the stay at home orders, uh, I spent so much time building my little island like so much it was obsessive i would wake up in the morning i had a special group chat on whatsapp of my ac besties Mm -hmm. and we would literally check in with each other take photos of what was in our store if you want to come and get this or if i want if you want me to send it to you it was like it was in it was detailed it was involved it felt like we were a part of each other's lives playing Mm -hmm. this game in a way that almost mirrored the kind of engagement you would have in real life you know Mm -hmm. it's like hey I, I, I baked extra cake. Would you like a slice? And then you just drop it off and, you know, but you would do that basically in the game. Yeah, and yeah. so it felt good to still be able to like relate to people and like maintain friendships through this weird, you know, virtual reality. And then so when did you start doing the the shows, the comedy crossing shows? Yeah, so stay at home happened. I was depressed. I was doing stand up comedy shows randomly, and we were all figuring out what's good. About a month in, I ordered my Nintendo Switch. I got obsessed with Animal Crossing. And then I would say pretty soon after I started, and I realized there was like a microphone and an amp, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, you know, items that you could acquire inside the game. I was like, oh, wait a minute. So I could design anything i will design a comedy club in the basement of my house yeah that's what's going to happen and then you know during during this time you know i'm chatting with my friends in the group chat a lot of whom are who work in entertainment who are writers who are actors and i was like you guys is this wild of me to imagine me hosting an actual stand-up comedy show inside my video game like how does how does that even work what kind of tech genius do I need to be to figure <laughs> yeah. this out, you know? And so uh, it became almost like a mini challenge. I had nothing else going on. I was like, mm, you know what? This is a little challenge for myself. So, and so how does, it, how does it work for a person who has not seen the show? How does it work for the audience member? And, and how does it work for the comedians? Okay, so if you are a bystander who just wants to see a cute stand-up comedy show, you register for my Eventbrite, and then right before the show starts, my Eventbrite sends you an email with the Zoom link, and you have to log into your official Zoom account, that's for security, and then you're essentially going to a pleasant Zoom meeting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not for work. Um, And what happens is I share my screen as the host, uh, and my screen will be 
the video game. Yeah. Right. And so that's all you're doing. And then depending on how you format the view of your Zoom, you might most likely will see in the corner whoever's actually talking in a little picture in picture. Mm-hmm while you see the overall video game action, right? So say, for example, our upcoming show, we have Margaret Cho. We have a Marie Soledad, a stand-up comedian who has an Animal Crossing account, cosplaying and puppeteering Margaret's character so that when she's performing, you know, she gets to move, you know, Marie gets to move Margaret in the game. So they're essentially, so Margaret is essentially doing stand-up as herself to the Zoom meeting. And then- Someone who is in the world would be using controllers to do what they're doing. And then comedians who do have it, they're doing both at the same time. Yes. So comedians who do have Animal Crossing, you know, I give them a little dodo code to visit my island officially. Sure, they of show up on my island, you know, just to just to use the lingo, the parlance. Um, they, they show up on my island. And uh, they like file into my little comedy club and they have a seat and I call them up the way that I would any other show. You know what I mean? Um, And yeah, so they would control their character with their little hand control game controllers while they tell their jokes to the Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. And so that that's how it works. Have you noticed any sort of material, particularly working, be it your own or other comedians of oh, it's better if they do talk about the pandemic or they don't, or it's better if they take advantage of the Animal Crossing or not. Do you, do you, have you noticed any trends of like what has been particularly enjoyable? I feel like the most successful comedians on Comedy Crossing are ones who incorporate real great jokes that would work on any stage with maybe just a wink or, a, or an acknowledgement of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, whether that's like a 5% of your set making fun of Animal Crossing because there's a lot of people who are watching who know the game. Mm-hmm. Or um, what I do ask the performers is if they have Animal Crossing is to come up with a minimum of two what they call reactions, which are sort of emotional act actions that your character can do mm-hmm. it could be anywhere from confidence to sadness you know what i mean like it could be weeping and so i ask that we take advantage of the for the format yeah. right it's like all right well we have these emotional reactions to our advantage can you incorporate that into your set and so i think it's really fun I don't know. I, I have every show recorded from the first show we've done. And I, the, the excitement was palpable to sort of geek out over seeing comedians sort of work their set into an Animal Crossing environment. Do you have any specific memories, any standout moments, any weird things that happened just sort of in, in this sort of very specific world you've created? Do you have oh, yeah. <laughs> what has stood out to you? There's two things, you know, in addition to doing emotional reactions, which is really great to sort of underline what the joke is about or the punchline, uh, people are using what they call magic wands that you can make that are costume changes that are mm-hmm. very quick. So you can like be in the show and while you're, you're, you're saying something, you can, you know, change in an instant your outfit. And so, you know, that, that, that makes for great visual jokes that you can do. You know, I, I turn into a baby. I make a Crystalia joke. You know what I'm saying? It's like things like that. So, so, and then, and then besides that, another thing that's very specific to Comedy Crossing is that the fact that we're all like eight people inside of my game, mm-hmm. um, there is a very particular uh, idiosyncrasy of the game where if you let your Nintendo Switch fall asleep or you don't touch your controller... Mm-hmm. 
it automatically boots you out of my island. Oh, so wow. like if you if you fall asleep, it means you're trying to end the session, quote unquote, that we all share. And it means that everyone gets automatically booted. Oh, everyone. To, everyone gets booted to the airport and the person whose Nintendo Switch falls asleep gets booted off the island and they have to very unceremoniously come back into the island during the show, which happened during the first show and everyone was dying because most people play the game and it is so like a, oh, I get the pain of this. Like they Mm -hmm. totally sympathize of like when that's happened to them in real life, like when they've played the game. You know, what do you think, you know, you've done other shows. I imagine you've seen other shows. Why do you think this has worked? What what about it? I mean, I've watched it. I was like, this is, I, I don't play Animal Crossing and I watch it. I was like, Oh, you watched it. Great. I did watch it and I was like, this works. But as a person who's in it, what do, what do you think? Why do you think that is? Um my take on why Comedy Crossing works uh, is because you know, right now we are lacking the very visceral experience of being in community with each other in a physical space. Mm -hmm. And when you go to an actual physical show, there's a whole ritual of getting ready. You go there, you're mentally preparing for it. You show up, you're taking in the physical environment. You got the energy of the crowd. You got the energy of the stage, right? And I think that's so much of what live comedy is. And so... But how do you recreate that? So, you know, so, so what, what level of production value can you bring to yeah. an online show? And so in a weird way, being able to do a show inside the cutest video game is like a cheat. Yeah. It's like a production value cheat. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get stimulated, you know, in these different ways through the art of, you know, of the Nintendo Switch video game. And it automatically makes, you know, what we're doing cool and yeah, fun and yeah. just aesthetically rewarding in, yeah. a, in an additional way beyond just the jokes yeah, right it's, it's like stage presence that you can't it's hard to create on zoom stage presence because it's your home and it's like the lighting's weird well now you have yes. there's this presence yes so what do you hope for for the future of it or even like um, imagining a world where people can go to see live comedy again do you imagine you'll like still kind of want to do it what do you hope for it as a sort of subgenre of stand-up comedy currently. <laughs> you mean the new subgenre of doing stand-up comedy shows inside a video game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of feel like getting lost inside Animal Crossing has been such a great escape during this very unique pandemic time. I don't imagine it lasting longer. Mm-hmm. You know, a cute video game with cute art can't compete with the feeling of just like being shoulder to shoulder and like seeing people's faces. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, not to wax romantic about it, but like, that's, you know, that's like literally why I got into stand-up comedy. You know, I love comedy. Why do I, why do I put myself through the risk of rejection every single time I try to tell a joke in front of people? Well, it's because you get the reward of communing, you know, of like being in that space. And I feel like, we're so starved for that right now. I can't even imagine why you would choose once everything is yeah. safe. Why would you choose to look at a video game if you ha- if you if you're capable of yeah. showing up somewhere? So I feel like maybe I'll do it, you know, once in a while later because I do feel like there's a lot of like indoor people who love the fact that they don't have to go mm-hmm. and face social anxiety and like the real world, which is a real it's a real segment of the population yeah, who yeah. like have like actually given me feedback and said beyond the pandemic, I would have loved a show like this, you know? 
Um, so I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be cool to sort of figure out a way to still bring stand-up comedy in a live form online. Yeah. This time last year, stand-up Nori Davis was playing clubs and alt rooms around New York, getting ready to tape his Comedy Central Half Hour, which eventually aired last November. But for his most recent offering, live from the Comedy Trap House, Nori worked on and recorded the material over Zoom. The album, as far as I know, is the first of its kind, recorded in quarantine about quarantine. As Nori describes it, it's a fascinating time capsule. So here is me talking to Nori Davis. Hey, man, Jesse, out the gate. Big fan. Thank you, man. Oh, really? Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Hell yeah, man. Yo, we are comedy <laughs> fucking nerds, bro. Like you got you got all the elites on your podcast. Like it this feels like the same um feeling as like getting a late night set. Oh wow. To be in featured on a podcast <laughs> with all the goats. You got a lot of like the John Mulaney's my favorite episode. So Oh cool. Thank you so much for listening. Uh so yeah. so this episode is a a little different. We're just sort of talking to different people about how they've adjusted and you know, we I interviewed Maria Bamford and Roy Wood Jr. right when it was starting about like what the hell it's going to be like, and it's a bit pessimistic. Mm-hmm. And, and the hope is this episode can like capture people that have been able to figure out stuff. And you, I think, at least as far as I know, is like the the most successfully like recorded an album. It sort of sounds like sounds like a comedy <laughs> album. Well, yeah, so how you keep interviewing old people? Shit, you <laughs> yeah. gotta get some young niggas in here, that, and we, we figure it out. We yeah. gotta figure it out, man. We got we gotta keep stand up going man it's such a beautiful art form and just it doesn't die it just adapts so yeah i got you yeah so you recorded i think the album three months into quarantine can you just walk me through those first three months of doing zoom and instagram and whatever else shows to the point where you decided to record an album sort of like what was that experience like and what did you realize all right so it definitely started like after my birthday i got a mic bought myself a mic for my birthday and um i was not sure of performing on zoom would even work i was really one of those comics of like i'm just gonna hold off until this blows over thinking like you know COVID is just this little virus and ain't gonna do that much we're gonna be back out there in the, in the world but that like yeah. though people the cases we was in grand i'm in new york so i was in new york then i was in ground zero and freaking crazy ass relationship and like the stages were taken away from me so and i didn't want to write sit down and write a screenplay it's like well i'm gonna sell it to the bodega man like yeah, fuck yeah. that like i love stand up so um i did a couple shows like on twitch where like you just see people texting you their laughs that doesn't work and ig live um you can't hear nothing and, I, and yeah. that's when i even discovered like wow as a stand-up comedian, we are just like a musician. Like, the audience is our instrument. Like, they are my saxophone. I got to play them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I need that interaction. I can't um, I can't jukebox this shit. So, now I went on Zoom for the first time, and I uh, just ranted about my experiences that was going on. That was probably, like, April, probably, like, four days after I did the comedy trap house. I built I built that up to where like, hey, you know, fans, I'm gonna have the Zoom link. I'm gonna have a DJ. My uh, DJ Ace, he DJ. He's like, he was my host because I feel like Zoom mm. is just so that dead air. Like even now, yeah. like when I'm just quiet, you're like, oh, what is that? <laughs> Somebody talk before <laughs> I Apple Q this fucking app, <laughs> right? So 
having music definitely set the tone that this isn't a research meeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I had a comedian, you know, um, uh, Kyle Ayers or um, uh, Paris Sache and Rob Hayes. I had those, uh, Napoleon Emil, these guys come in who are so funny to like set the tone. Like, hey, this is a comedy show. Mm-hmm. This is it's just a quarantine comedy show. And they set the tone for me. And um, after that, I did. 35 to 45 minutes of new material I wrote in quarantine and probably like two, three jokes pre-quarantine. And from there, I was hearing digital laughs. I would throw it out there and then it would go through the Wi-Fi, go to their speakers mm-hmm. and then they hear it and then they come back. And what was interesting about it was that nobody's, they're not in the same room. They're on the same app, but not in the same room. So somebody can hear it and keep laughing at it and another person hears that person laugh. That makes yeah. them laugh. So you had this ripple effect and I was like, "This is a wave, right? Here. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is cool. Like, um, and and the, the, it's digitized. It's just like, ah, ah, ah. the texture of it was just attractive to me. Oh, so, f- from there, it was like I am getting the same satisfaction, and from when I do on stage, and I'm also, um, uh, it it's it's working and, and I'm giving joy to my fans or whoever clicks on the link and uh, time is going faster. Mm-hmm. So I did that I did a couple shows in uh, April and May and then I hit up my label who did my albums before Two Way uh, Blonde Medicine to like hey man I think I want I think I have a couple bits that could put together make an album and he was like yo man I was it's crazy you said that because this comic does not want to do a Zoom or. Th- they're supposed to record their album and they were on the verge of figuring out how to record yeah, yeah. digitally. And they and they're like, Yeah, Nora, you would be the crazy motherfucker to do this. So let's let's do it. So because you record each track audience member differently. So even there's like a baby crying or there's mm-hmm. like even dogs barking. You could take their laugh out and then you still have a complete show. So we um I, I, I did a couple more shows, the comedy trap house through May and then recorded a week after George Floyd uh, was murdered. And that was the that was the Friday because that Saturday was the uprising in New York City. So that's when the temperature changed again mm-hmm. for stand-up. Like, we have this window of like, hey, we want to laugh, we're in quarantine. And then, then after, like, uprising, it's like, we don't want to laugh, nigga, we got to fight, right? So so it came at a great time. Like, I, the universe, man, yeah. really hooked it up with the timing of it and got that recording in. And then after that was just post and then to the uprising um so that was that was the process how did you approach it sort of the album sort of conceptually of like what do you want to do and then also sort of practically how did you build material was it like how you built material anyway yeah it was it definitely was writing and also i i do 50 50 like writing on pen and paper or notepad and then writing mm. on stage. So I was writing on Zoom to where like, what are the audience members reacting to? What, what am I getting a digital laugh to? And then I also want to like, what's the theme of this album? Like, let's let's bring it back to like, um, in the beginning, what we thought and that observation. And then also my mm. twist on it of shopping and lining up and ESPN, TV, binge watching. And so I want to like give like a time capsule of like, this is what we've been through, like, like, cause it's like this year, twenty twenty, things changed so fucking fast. Like, we forgot. Like, Kobe passed away February, yeah. man. I'm still mourning that. Like, I sometimes I I remind myself like that. Yeah, that did happen this year. Like, we lost him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he's straight going. So that's what I want this to be, where people can be like, yeah, that was like that. That was like that, cause we just don't know. In these hectic times, we forget where we came from. 
um, and what we've been through, what we dealt yeah. with. So that that's how I started it, and then it just started shaping together of giving people that remembrance, that reference hmm. of like, oh man, I remember that. Yeah, that was, oh that's hilarious, blah, blah blah. And then having my twist on it, and then building from there. How did you adapt your performance style for Zoom audience? The thing that I noticed as the the laugh rhythm is different. How you ride a laugh rhythm is different because it's not pops. It's sort of like. Her, yeah. It's 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 you 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 keep on commenting on their laughs and you could you could feel you finding a different rhythm. What was that like? Uh, that that was it was a roller coaster, man, and it was it was beautiful because these people did not even like put pants on, but they pressed the link to come, yeah. and I feel like acknowledging that laugh, their laughs is this is all not normal none of this shit is normal but doing that makes it more normal and comfortable for them to express themselves so um it was really definitely figuring out the timing i i had to definitely teach myself how to let them laugh because if i do another joke they didn't even laugh at the they didn't finish laughing at the other one so i'm already i'm fucking myself up i don't know if i curse i don't know Uh, okay dope so i'm i'm fucking myself up it's just like I had to keep telling myself, like, pace yourself to where, like, in the comedy club, you could just ride that wave. You know that you can see their energy of what they're mm-hmm. doing, their expression. But with Zoom, you have to feel it. Like, I, I tell people, I felt like Ray Charles performing stand up. Mm-hmm. Like, it was all, all hearing. I had to yeah. hear them because even if I look at the screen, it to them it looks like i'm looking up so they're not even engaged yeah, yeah so it's really like i'm performing directly in the camera and i'm hearing them laugh and i'm like all right let that laugh die out did everybody get it out all right next one yeah. <laughs> then and then from there i kept riding and not to say like there wasn't many times on zoom meetings i bombed uh, like yeah. where i thought oh is is my wi-fi working i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. just <laughs> but yeah um did you stand or were you sitting? Yes, like- I stand. Yeah. yeah, I had the mic. I had the can- laptop backed up, and I was standing. So all they saw, just like you see here, is like shoulder mm. up. And I was performing. I was doing act outs, which I love doing. That's my that's my shit. And bringing that live stand up um, atmosphere to them on their laptop is is crucial because if I'm sitting down, then I feel like it's more of a monologue. And it doesn't give the essence of stand-up. I mean, I'm not a Cosby. That's just not yeah. my style. <laughs> but I feel like if I can give... But that you mean not a storyteller. I do feel yeah, like storyteller. Yeah, storyteller. <laughs> oh, man. that Shit, I don't even have to use his name. But but Cosby's <laughs> notorious for sitting down. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, man, I know what you mean. What's an updated reference of a nigga sitting down? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Mark, Mark Maron sits down. Mark Maron, yes, on the stool. That's right, with his hand. Yeah. You are correct. Yes, he is. Um... Yeah, Mark Marin and uh, I, and also like maybe a Schultz or something. I see him yeah. in the club sitting down. But yes, no, not sitting down. Definitely had to stand up and give that energy mm-hmm. like you were watching me like if I was in the club or in the, yeah. or in the theater. Uh, ultimately, what do you think of the record? Is, is there a part or a joke that you're particularly proud of or just something broader that you're really proud of about it? Yeah, I'm really proud of the whole the whole album as a whole i'm i'm fucking ecstatic i don't know it's it's it's, people already responded to it 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 really came together and i guess i'll say if my favorite joke is like the mask on joke or any quarantine joke because those are things i really just wrote there and they came together and i got consistent laughs through zoom on them so (laughs) 
that's when I just like you know you know stand up bro like that's what I'm like okay this is a fucking bit this might be yeah, a yeah. bit okay like like every robotic laugh I heard from a person on this app laughed at that point so I'm like bam sold yeah <laughs> COVID don't discriminate everybody can get it man shit there was there was a time remember years ago I don't know if this is racist but remember years ago I used to see Asian people wearing masks I thought that was a fashion statement. <laughs> I didn't know that was foreshadowing. I know it was foreshadowing Asian people years ago walking around like, it's coming, nigga. It's coming. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Oh, my God. They wearing the mask. That's all I know, man. Like, I, I believe Asian people now. Like, next year, if they wear goggles, <laughs> something's coming. Something's gonna happen with our eyes, man. Just look out. Something's coming. <laughs> so yeah. now it's like, all right, let's build some more. Build some more. So I yeah, I love the mask on and um the whole thing. The whole thing. Cool. It just shows the whole journey. Like it feels like it's my it's a thesis paper. Like uh, that this is the journey we go through. Take people on the ride and then we out of there. Fifty minutes. Do you feel like I almost like I do think it especially as an audio experience, it worked. It's something I even noticed from recording the podcast that like audio, if you like, if I don't look at the people and I try to just connect to the audio, it works. But having been able to sort of create something you are proud of or successful, for, you know, there's comedians that listen to this or comedians in general who want to know or older comedians who just can't believe it. Like, do you have advice for <laughs> how to do it? Uh, yeah, man. Get, um, if you're scared of it, fucking do it. Yeah. Don't be scared. Don't be scared, man, because it will work. And there are people out there that need to hear your voice. I mean, you built those fans. We'll just leave them out there. Mm-hmm. Or if you transition to something else, that's nice. But uh, the advice I give you is, like, definitely try it. Try it. Don't knock yeah. it before you even try it. And perform. Perform. Like, same thing people putting pants up to go into the club is the same thing people sitting down in their living room pressing a link. It's the same yeah. it's the same yeah. excitement like, yo, all right, this is my Saturday night. You my Saturday night. <laughs> so I, I tell them to perform, to stand up, to go on, you know, give Jeff Bezos more fucking money. Cop a <laughs> mic. <laughs> cop a mic or cop a, yeah. go to, uh, what store is a, I don't know, any audio spot and then like yeah. just, just do it. And, um, and uh, that will keep stand up alive, and and now we're now we're transitioning to an online platform, and yeah. um, and the clubs will you know we we are becoming the clubs. We could be the yeah. clubs, you know. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Lori Kilmartin is a joke writer's joke writer. And if you haven't listened... Go back to her Goodwin episode from November 2018. She talks about the craft of writing a stand-up set to perform on Conan while still doing her day job of writing monologue jokes for Conan. Still, Lori might be best known for tweeting and then filming a special of jokes about her dad dying of cancer in 2014. She eventually then wrote a book about the grieving process, Dead People Suck. So when her mom got COVID-19 earlier this summer, her first instinct was to tweet about it, even through her mother's death. So... Here is my conversation with Lori Kilmartin. So, though this is audio, I want to first remark. So, you have pleasant uh, little grass backgrounds. Do you have a variety of Zoom backgrounds that you rotate through? I do. I have a lot of different comedy backgrounds. I try to honor the club that I'm not working at. Uh, Got it. <laughs> whenever a club sponsors a show, and then uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's start with something easier, which is what has it been like writing for Conan while in lockdown? It's fine. It's I mean, it, we're it, it, it's just as hard as anything in lockdown where you're really isolated. Um, we have meetings on zoom and they're fun, but, um, I'm so sick of zoom. I, everything I do, I do in this little room right here and I can't, I'm just tired of it. Um, and I miss seeing people in person and I miss, uh, I miss the monologue meetings. I miss that there's a monologue. (laughs) He's not doing much of a monologue. Um, cause he's sort of just, uh, well, there's no audience basically. And he's at the Largo, but, um, I miss our uh, Kylie, Brian Kylie is the other mono writer. And uh, so we always got about 45 minutes to an hour just Mm -hmm. hanging out with Conan, shooting shit and talking about current events or whatever. And it was so fun. It was like one of the highlights of my day. And I miss that we don't have that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, but it's fine. You just asked me what was hard about it. I mean, I'm getting paid. Yeah. uh, During a pandemic. So everything's great. And I still get to do, comedy so everything's everything's fine if you're not doing like without the monologue what is your focus um well we still write monologue jokes just in case it's it's uh, it seems like an option every day uh that that he would like to have which is fine and then um uh i i have written a couple sketches you know or done some sketch stuff so you know just trying to flex a different muscle jesse (laughs) might as well um so, you know, as as a, as a person who's been doing comedy for, for 30 years, who has performed in every type of venue, how has it been performing on Zoom, Instagram, etc.? What have you noticed? I, well, I, at first I thought it was kind of cool. And then um, 
And I think what I've noticed is that since I, I keep performing in front of this computer and looking into this ring light, um, that it, everything feels the same all the time. So even if the audience is perhaps different, it, it feels like, like I'm doing the same set, maybe like one new tag or one new joke in mm. front of the same crowd. And it, it's getting less and less uh, exciting. The one time I, I, t I was doing um, Sam Varela's show, uh, Comedy Quarantine or Quarantine yeah. Comedy. Which is um, the, which, an Instagram show, right? Yeah. So I, I had to be on my iPhone and I sat in a different chair and it felt, it was like, oh, this is amazing. I need to do this more. I just need to move out of this little shitty room and do the, you know, create little comedy clubs in different parts of my, mm -hmm. <laughs> in my house. And uh, it'll feel like I'm performing somewhere else. Um, I do feel like, I, I mean, I, I have new stuff and uh, I, I, I do wish there was a real audience to gauge it on. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just can't. I can't tell if people, the people that are watching my Zoom shows uh, are people that listen to my podcast, or they're maybe they're predisposed to liking what I say or disliking it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel like I'm not getting a real test on material in front of like kind of a neutral audience that wandered in on a Groupon, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, $5, you know, $5 show thing. Or, um, so, you know, I... I I'm not a hundred percent confident in stuff I've written necessarily feel like, I don't feel like it's been vetted properly, you know, in front of enough crowds for sure. So uh, in June, your mom contracted COVID-19 and uh, first I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, and it seems right away you're, you're tweeting about it. And you know, when your, your dad was dying of cancer, you also made jokes through that experience. You eventually, filmed a special with that material. You, you wrote a book about the grieving process. So I can't imagine there was as much hesitation just because this is like, you're like this, you knew what it was going to be like, but do you remember deciding to tweet jokes or what was the impulse or sort of when, when it started? I, I think it started, my mom was diagnosed on the, on the 11th of June. And I think I didn't know what I was going to do. I just couldn't, I couldn't fucking believe it. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was just, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it was so, um, look, she had done everything necessary to avoid getting it. And, uh, I, I think I was in shock cause I thought California was good. You know? Yeah. I didn't know we were about to, like, she was part of the first wave of, oh, we're not good. Yeah, it's yeah. not good at all. It's really bad. Um, and then maybe, maybe I mentioned it after seeing, you know, some COVID is a hoax tweet or something like that. And then I was like, fuck this shit. It's not. And then I kind of maybe started from a place of anger at that point. Yeah, I think if I remember your first tweet was sort of like straightforward. But I think by your second tweet, you joked tweaking the setup of my if COVID is so contagious, how come my mom don't have it, Chuck? <laughs> You know what? I, I'm glad I had material to work with. I, yeah. you know, I had some stuff to start with. I didn't have to start cold on, on my dead mom. I was uh, already headed there. Yeah. Um, and so what was it like? What was the sort of responses you were getting throughout the, her sort of battle with it? Um, mostly good responses. I, I, no one, no one tweeted to me directly that I was a monster, but I, I don't know if people think privately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were you, would you do the jokes about it? I know you're on the Zoom shows. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I had a couple Zoom shows while she was 
um, dying. Um, and I, I would just dart into, again, it was so easy, just dart into my bedroom and tell mm-hmm. a few jokes and then go back to, you know, watching her die on my iPad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Very convenient. Is, yes, yes. It's particularly, I think it's, even, yeah, it's even easier, like, right? Because it's like, you didn't have to go to a club you could, or tweet, like you had the tweets, but also like, oh, now I could sort of do it to an audience who I don't know how they're feeling about this. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was, it was much more convenient than my dad's death. So I do thank her for that. Was there any joke that you remember that you're particularly proud of or you, you just like a lot? Um, I guess the one that's still working is um, my mom was a Trump supporter and she died from COVID. And as a result, the coroner ruled her death a suicide. That was the joke I wrote down. That's my that, that was also the joke that I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> that might work for a long time. That might be a long time working joke. You know, we talked about it the first time you're on, but you are a joke writer's joke writer. Like what goes how does it how does your brain make a connection for something like that? Like do you remember how what the impulse was and sort of how it sort of followed? It's just sort of like so perfectly crafted. Um that was I wrote that really quickly right before I was going to do a set on Zoom because I didn't have any new stuff. But I mean, it's just something that's percolating the whole time. Like one reason I wanted her to become conscious for a second was I wanted her to admit she'd made a mistake, a terrible Mm -hmm. mistake. I never got her to admit it was a mistake to vote for Trump. You know, by the time she was diagnosed with COVID, she was unconscious and unable to respond to things. So I feel cheated. Because yeah. I, I know, I know, like, I fucking won that argument. Finally, yeah. I won it. And you're not here to admit that I won it. Yeah, you won, you won in the worst way possible. <laughs> Truly. Truly. But it is a, you know, it's like, a, it's a perfect, like, roast joke in that it combines the sort of two failings of a person for, and then twist it around. It's just like, <laughs> um, you know, what... What did it mean to you to have comedy as a way to express yourself and as a way to sort of connect to people during that time? Um, I was very grateful to have uh, Twitter to to put jokes out there for, you know, I mean, um, I, I guess I had already read a ton about COVID. I, I've been kind of pretty obsessed with it, you know, and um, and it, it was all this heartfelt shit, which is good. You know, yeah. and uh, I just felt like, all right, well, this won't be so heartfelt, even though it is heartfelt. That's how my heart feels. Yes, <laughs> it, it feels it feels through comedy, you know, but. Um, yeah, I think. I, yeah, I think that's true. Right. There was it. People were having a hard time to figure out how to make jokes about it. And I think it was partly like so many people are dying. And so you're like, oh, how do we do it? But there is something like, well, this is my personal experience. And no one was going to be like, how dare you? People are dying. You're like, I'm I'm well aware. Oh, yeah, I know. I felt like this freedom that only, say, maybe Pete Davidson feels about 9-11. Like, I can make any joke. You you can't take that. You can't take that away from me. However, I'm I'm certain. uh, In fact, I think Nico Santos's stepfather or stepmother passed away from COVID, too. Like, I'm certain there will be more of us. Uh, you know, qualified to really make the jokes, the jokes of all jokes about this. Yeah. And so you're, and you, as you said, you're still doing some, that, at least that joke you're still doing. Are you still doing jokes? Are you still working on material around it? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, yes. I, yes, I am. It's a, it's a, it's a burgeoning chunk. Mm-hmm. 
So that said, is there anything that you are hopeful about? No. <laughs> no, I, I um, you know, there's this guy named Andy Slavitt, and he basically keeps saying uh, almost every day, if the entire country shut down for like maybe a month or two, we could, we could end this for everybody. Yeah. You know, and maybe at some point people will listen to that. I, I, I don't know. It's it. There's a way to stop this, you know, yeah. and it, we don't have to wait for a vaccine. We don't have to wait for better treatment for people that get a really bad version of COVID. Yeah, if we could just everyone just stop for two months at the most. And then everyone's like, kids go back to school. They start sports starts back up again. Like you have you have everything you fucking want again. If you can yeah. just tamp it down for two months. Jim Gaffigan, Good One's illustrious first guest and one of the biggest touring comedians, well, ever, is our final check-in. When coronavirus was ramping up in Europe, Jim was abroad working on a special in which he does a set of comedy completely about the foreign country he's performing in. But he was only able to finish two countries in time, Canada and Spain. That special, Pale Taurus, came out on July 24th on Amazon Prime. Unable to travel abroad, Jim instead turned to performing for cars at drive-ins. As of the interview, he's done this twice, first in the Monmouth Park parking lot in Oceanport, New Jersey, and then the Mohegan Sun parking lot in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. He has others booked, but he's still not sure if he'll do them. So here is Jim Gaffigan. First, I just want to ask you about the special Pale Tours. How, how did the idea of this special come about? Uh, it came about directly following me recording quality time. I had this vacation slash tour of Asia where I was going to do some shows mixed in with a family vacation. Three of my children are taking Mandarin, so we were going to, you know, expose them to people that actually speak Mandarin. And, um, and so I ended up doing a bunch of cities and realized that I had all this material specific to Asia. And so the day before uh, I was in Seoul and I was like, I should just record this. And it was kind of haphazard, but it ended up being a 25 minute set. The production value wasn't great, but I put it on YouTube and it inspired me to do it in other geographic areas, kind of self-assignment, you know, like, all right, I'm just going to do a special on different places. How were you able to test out material? Was it something like, oh, I'm going to do a little tour of this place. And by the end of this little tour, I'll have enough about this place. It was super ambitious. I mean, every comedian typically gets material about a certain area, you know, but it's so, you know, I can try it. So a lot of the Canadian material, I've been to Canada many more times than I've been to Spain. I've been to Spain maybe a total of six days in my life. But so I I did try a lot of the material, but you know, I didn't get to polish it like I would in a normal special, but you also get a certain allowance from the audience for the fact that you're even making the effort. I love the Spanish food. Whenever I travel, I always eat the local specialty. You guys are like, we can tell, Jim. We can totally tell. We can tell. And there's nothing more Spanish than tapas, right? Tapas, which is kind of like Spain sushi. Tapas. 
which is like, I love how tapas is talked about like an activity. People do tapas, you know, like it's a form of exercise. It's like, you went jogging? I did tapas. Yeah, I did a whole circuit. I'm exhausted. So what's it like releasing a special right now in general? And and in particular, what is it like releasing this special, which is about traveling and and visiting other countries, a thing that seemingly is uh, impossible for the uh, indefinite future? Yeah, it's it's, uh, particularly strange, right? Because uh, we're all probably avoiding air travel. And the fact that we're going to you know, embrace air travel to do something for a vacation might be not a priority at all for a while. So I don't know. Yeah, that's just one of the consequences of it. But of course, we all have a nostalgia for traveling and for being uh, an international tourist. Do you think, where do you think you might have done more? Yeah, I was in Bogota in early March on March 10th. And the next day I was supposed to be in uh, Argentina and was notified before the Bogota show that it was canceled. But uh, yeah, so I was either, it was the the third piece of the Amazon Pill Taurus was either going to be Latin American or Mexican American, depending on, because I had a full week tour of Mexico. But if I, Ended up having a disproportionate amount about Latin America. I would have called it Latin America. The other thing I want to talk about is you performed a couple of comedy shows at, at drive-ins since the quarantine. How did you decide to, to try those? Well, they were presented to me. Um, it, it's, it's a, there's a balancing act because nothing beats the intimacy of uh, a room where a comedian has a microphone and they're, communicating to an audience that's kind of tightly knit. So when you go outside, you lose some of that. When you add, um, you know, social distancing of a car length, you know, when you add the fact that some people are listening on their car radio while their doors are shut because they're being extra safe, which is understandable, you lose a lot of that. So there's the balancing act of, how desperate are you to perform? That's what I always say to these comedians that ask me. I'm like, how, how bad do you want to perform? And is the risk worth the reward? And so I did a couple. I've turned down a lot, but there, you know, there's ongoing discussions about how things are progressing geographically in different areas affects it. So. So, but if I did a tour and I don't know if I'd want to take a bus into a hotspot, you know, cause I'm not just thinking of myself, I'm thinking of my family. And I'm also thinking about like somebody that might come to the show. So how many have you done so far? I've only done two. Yeah. I would love to talk more about what's it like. So you're, you're, you're on stage and you're sort of talking to a field of cars. How... Yeah. Like, what is the feedback like? Sort of what is the rhythm of the sort of actual performance like? It's hard to imagine without sort of being there. It's it's absurd. Well, uh, some of it is, I should say, it's different depending on the rules within that state and within that community and that venue. So in one, people really didn't get out of their cars. And so the feedback was 
kind of um, by memory in some ways and by, like, uh, you know, remembering, so like, like remembering where the laughs would have been if there were laughs. Well, or, or there, you know, there was a, thankfully some people in a Range Rover that had the roof off. You know what I mean? And so, but, you know, it's not, you know, cause some of it is, you know, performing is a writing exercise where you're going to improvise. So there's, not really that occurring, but in another one, it was very much people were sitting outside of their cars and they had uh, safety. And so you could hear it. It wasn't ideal. It, it's absurd in that you're performing to, you know, a thousand or 500 cars like you're recreating a scene from the movie Cars. It yeah. is strange. And, you know, some of the feedback is flashing lights or beeping the horn, kind of like a polite get out of the way, beep, beep. You know, like that's kind of like something, but that's just the driver that can give that feedback. And so it's uh, it's surreal. And then there's, you know, I did two shows and I had uh, three friends on each of the show, three comedians, and you have to socially distance from them. So there isn't even that camaraderie before the show and there isn't even the feedback of of like what can a comedian tell you not that there's huge insights but they can you know a comedian can tell you hey they're a little uptight or they're drunk or they're uh you know uh the right side but what can a comedian tell you at a car show well they're you know they can't say like well it's a lot of imports there's nothing there's no information to pass along but it's fascinating in terms of material, like, I imagine you have to do a, a bunch of just talking about, like, the elephant of the room of just this, exp- like, is there a amount of time where you feel like you're able to, like, well, what, yeah, like, what is a set like in terms of how much do you feel like you need to talk about both the reason why this is happening and the fact that it's happening? And then are you able to sort of transition to material that is maybe unrelated to any of this stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I would also say, which is an important element, is that the crowd is hungry for entertainment, too. We're all kind of like in, maybe we're not in quarantine mode, but we're all with the same people we were with in March. So there is a certain uh, craving or an appetite for live entertainment. You know, I call it the conversation of stand-up. So mm-hmm. it's an exceptionally good audience in that way. Like they're not, you know, a, a jaded New York, LA audience or Nashville where we've seen tons of live entertainment. They're like, yes, I haven't seen any live entertainment in a long time. And so that being said, it doesn't take a lot of kindling to get the fire going. Mm. They're generous, you know, they're there. They understand that, um, you know, they're not surprised. They're like, they're not like, hey, wait a minute. What are we doing sitting in cars? Like they knew when they were <laughs> buying the tickets. Yeah. And so everyone has a certain awareness that you you might address it. But I think people also, they, they want, they want, they crave some normalcy. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And they crave the surprise of a stand-up show. Uh, and the, the connection, I think. Do you feel like it helps being as experienced as you are? Like, do you think about, like, what it would have been like if you had to do this five years in? Like, I do feel like part of it is just sort of like, 
you there's so much control that you're able to have like it's it seems like you're still able to do your thing even though this is like the weirdest possible show oh yeah no that's a huge thing i mean i talk with friends and uh one of the things i keep going back to is i feel most for the comedians whether he or she is just starting to make money headlining in comedy clubs when they're just getting the momentum that they were about to get that Netflix or Amazon special. It's, I mean, I feel for all performers, but to answer your question, yeah, there's, like, I always view shows, you know, corporate shows, you kind of do them, you're glad you're paid for it. And then there's times when it you're amazed that you're paid for a show. It's so fun. And so these shows are kind of like, you understand why you're paid. And by the way, there's no money. Like the money is, because there's such incredible costs. They have to create yeah. an outdoor venue, whether it be in a parking lot of a dog track or, you know, uh, outside of an arena. There's no infrastructure there. So there's not really... Um, there's not much money to be made. And there's also, you know, another factor is that, you know, people are dealing with uh, an economic crisis too. So it's like, I, I kind of always prided myself on having a ticket price that someone could bring uh, a friend or a child or someone or their, you know, their, uh, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't kind of like cripple them. And, but we're entering an economic time where it is a big sacrifice. I mean, it's, I guess it's only two shows in, but sort of based on how it's gone, can you imagine a way of developing enough material? Like, can you imagine filming a special at a drive-in? Like as a person who's sort of at a certain rhythm, like, can you have ambitions in terms of it based on how it's going? Sort of, how do you see a, a future with these shows? Well, I think that's that's a really good question because the the question remains there's the risk, there's the reward and there's the creative fulfillment. And so depending on your appetite, depending on that comedian's desire for to perform, you know, like I think it's safer than performing inside. Sure. So so there's that. But is there something like, could you tape a special? Yeah, I could. I think that um, it lends itself to probably different styles of stand-up. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, uh, you know, a drive-in show is not the perfect venue for Stephen Wright stand-up. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it is great for someone who is like Burt Kreischer, who's who also does these drive-in shows yeah. uh, that's creating a, uh, a celebratory thing. You know, for me, it's like, you know, people drive up and with their family in a car. And again, I've only done two of these. It's like, they're sick of everyone in the car, but at least maybe <laughs> yeah. they might enjoy the show. Um, but I, I don't know. It's weird. Cause that's the question is like, and it depends when you ask me. Because after mm -hmm. each of these shows, my agent, my manager, who have spent the last four months 
scheduling and rescheduling shows. It's just so brutal what my agent has, what has befallen him. They were always kind of like, so what, what, what can we learn? Can we do, you know, is it, I think there is an appetite, but I do think that there is, um, the quality of the experience outside of it being eccentric, uh, is, is, is not there. You know what I mean? So like, like we know that like a drive-in movie theater, you go to a drive-in on a date so you can make out with your date. Right. You uh, you're not you know, the movie's not that important. It's the experience, you know, like American graffiti. Right. So but does that work for stand up for music? I, you know, yes. But, uh, you know, my wife said that, you know, we got to mic the audience. And I'm like, you know, but people are dealing with different things. Yeah. There's a certain privacy. It's fascinating to hear about these shows. I, can, I hope you get, I hope you ever, every single one, I get to hear what it's like. It is the, the dry, it's just like a fascinating idea of like, someone was saying it's like performing for Transformers. It, it you know, it, you know, for me, it, I would just add that like, so I did these two shows. My manager and my agent developed this two week tour that would have started next week. And then I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking of the variables and the certain level of safety. And I'm just like, is it worth it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, and the thing, and so eventually I decided no. But like, now there's rumblings like, what if I did a two week tour and then I recorded a special? Would that make more sense? And I'm kind of like, maybe, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? And if I was if I was in my early 20s, I'd have a different approach to it. But, you know, I'm a yeah. father and, uh, you know, a husband. And, you know, I also think, like, there's part of me that's, it's just like, you don't want to be irresponsible. And, and not to say that, like, look, I'm a comedian. I go on stage and seek the approval of strangers. There's nothing normal about that. But, like, how how tasty is that? You know, like, there are some people that are like, I want to get on a plane, fly to a city that is not a hot spot, and do stand-up. And when I come back, a week later, I might find out that's a hot spot. And, yeah. you know, for me, that's not worth it. But for a lot of my friends, and they're very smart people, th- it's worth it. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to send my kids to school. Like, it's like, I don't understand it. Yeah. There's the types of decisions that we make light. Like, there's no easy decisions anymore. Like, every decision has to be like a full philosophical conversation (laughs) with yourself about what your priorities are and what you get value of what. And it's, and that is a unique thing for sort of anyone to be in. But like, it is interesting as a comedian to be like, that the idea that your shows that are just like hypothetically supposed to be like a fun thing or like, oh, do I want to do two shows on a Saturday or whatever is now like, is it worth putting however many people in whatever harm way? How much harm is it? You know, it's like it's a calculation that none of us are necessarily like ready to figure out. And I think it's so easy for us to to look at, you know, Trump and the federal government are so motivated to open the, the the economy back up and we can see the the flat bald face motivation behind it 
But the thing is, is if you remove that, we giggle at kind of the, the audacity of them. But then you sit there and you go, well, anyway, you're going to do that. It's like you question your own judgment. You're like, well, why am I going yeah. out there? Is it am I that desperate for attention? Yeah. Do I need money? I mean, it's like, look, I, I love my children and I'm sick of them, but I'm not going to send them to school just because I'm sick of them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah. That's it for another episode of Good One. A big socially distanced thanks to all my guests this week. Follow Nikki on social media at Nikki Glazer. Follow Jenny at Jenny Yang TV. Follow Nori at Nori Davis. Follow Lori at AnyLori16. And follow Jim at Jim Gaffigan. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Art Chung, and Camila Salazar. Gautam Shrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Sam J. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.